Welcome back to another Music Renewer Movement episode. Today on the show, our guest will take you through the importance of saving money for marketing, how faith plays a part in your career, and so much more. Alright, let's get to it. Cue the intro. Have you ever looked in the mirror and wondered, yikes, I thought I'd be way farther ahead of my music career by now? If so, you're not alone. I spent the last few years learning from the most ingenious musicians and managers around, looking for the answers. The problem is that music is a very personal thing and the fear of rejection was holding me back, and you can probably relate to that. I realized that no one was talking about their failures and rejections in the music business, just the glory and fame. So I decided to press the reset button and start this whole music thing over, to go all out, build a music career completely from scratch. But the real question is, how will I do it? Join me on my journey as we get to the deep questions with our guests that no one cares to ask to reveal the secret strategies and techniques to skyrocket your music career and begin to shake up the music industry as we know it. My name is Eddie Villaseca, and this is Musicpreneur Movement Podcast. guys we're back with becca bradley she was on one of the launch episodes and now we have her back all right so she is a touring cellist and has performed with michael w smith lauren daigle francesca Baristelli, big daddy weave and she has also played alongside artists including taylor swift kelly clarkson carrie underwood keith urban rascal flats and many others catch my breath as an independent artist she released her debut album having come down in 2019 last year so please welcome becca bradley back to the show Hey, Becca, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm great. How are things going over there in Nashville? They are going. You know, it's a strange time to be a musician in this mm-hmm. town, but uh, things are going. <laughs> so I heard you picked up cello from your sister? Yes, that was actually how I got started with it. So I started um, piano when I was six. Mm-hmm. My parents just thought music would be a good thing for us all to try. They put us all in piano lessons as kids. But, um, no, my sister came home from school one day and they were starting an orchestra program, I think, in fourth grade. And so mm-hmm. they showed the kids all of the instruments and said, you know, if you want to learn one of these instruments, sign up for orchestra, talk to your parents. So my sister comes home one day and is like, I want to play the cello. And neither of my parents are musicians. It was like super random and out of the blue, but they were really supportive of it. And so she started playing and she is two years older than me. So naturally I was like, she's so cool. She plays the cello. That looks really fun. I want to do it too, Uh (laughs) which totally drove her nuts. (laughs) Um, And eventually like my little sister played for a while too. So all three of us were playing for a little while, but I was the only one that stuck with music at all. Did y'all have like band, little family performances for your parents growing up? Um, I I think we played together for like my cousin's wedding one time, but Mm -hmm. my my older sister really didn't like that we played too. She's like, I don't want to play with you. (laughs) She's like, I'm a solo artist. (laughs) (laughs) We get along great now, I promise. Yeah. So you said you're the only one that still plays, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you still play piano as well? I do. Yeah. I mean, you know, cello is so unique that it kind of took over as my primary instrument just because 
you know, when you play something that unique, it kind of just opens a lot of doors and, and cool opportunities. So that definitely became my focus. But I mean, I started piano when I was six and I've played for fun ever since. I took classical lessons for, I don't know, probably like 10 years growing up. Mm-hmm. I guess the only thing that drew you to the cello was your sister. Mm-hmm. Did you, I guess, growing up, you played piano and cello going back and forth for different performances at school? Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up taking lessons on both for a number of years. Um, mm. You know, starting in, I think it was fourth grade, our school had like an orchestra program. So I would go play cello in the orchestra, but I continued with lessons on both for a number of years. And then you also did that in like throughout high school and then college as well. Yeah. Right? So I am... Um, I went to, I ended up going to school for music. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what brought me to Nashville. I uh, attended Belmont University mm-hmm. and they have a commercial music program, which is like pretty different than what I had grown up doing. You know, I had grown up in this strictly classical world, which mm-hmm. I was really grateful for, you know, I mean, cello is such a technical instrument. Like you kind of need to learn that side of things. But mm-hmm. I mean, ever since I was like, tiny I was this super duper creative kid and classical music never quite felt like an outlet for that mm-hmm. you know I would get in my car after orchestra and like all the other kids would get in their car and listen to like Mozart and I would get in my car and listen <laughs> to like Maroon 5 and I was like this isn't quite lining up so I heard that Belmont had this commercial music program where I could study other genres I honestly didn't even know quite what that was going to look like but I knew that that was what I had to do and I was going to figure it out from there. Mm-hmm. So, oh man, that's really fun. I just pictured like the orchestra kids playing orchestra music in the cars, <laughs> jamming out. So after college, so you got your degree, you know, learning commercial mm-hmm. performance, things like that. How'd you get started in the actual music business? So, and I sort of even started a little bit during college because, again, playing such a, a unique instrument and not just pursuing the classical route. You know, there are other cellists in Nashville, you know, like symphony players. But as far as players trying to get into touring and recording, I mean, there are others, but there it's a pretty small pool. So even as a college student, I started getting um, some opportunities there. I think I was... Uh, 18 when I got my first call to play at the Dove Awards, which um, I was not raised in church. Um, I had no idea what the Dove Awards were, but it was a gig. I think they said they'd pay me like $200 and I was like, I will do it. That sounds amazing at 18. (laughs) And through that booking agent, they ended up hiring me to do some CMA awards throughout the years, which is how I got my (laughs) list of important people I've played with. Most of that was through like CMA award events and stuff like that. Um, you know, and even graduating college from a place like Belmont, so many of the students that I I went to school with end up being your colleagues in the music industry. So my first tour, I started like maybe less than six months, I think after I graduated. And it was because a couple of the guys who were on the crew on this tour were former classmates of mine who had graduated a year or two before me. And this artist needed somebody to do cello and background vocals and some other stuff. And they said, we know a girl who would be perfect. So yeah, that's how I got into it. And it just kept rolling and rolling and rolling. One tour always leads to another. You'll meet another artist on the road and they're Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I have a Christmas tour coming up where cello would be really cool. And 
keeps on going. <laughs> wow. So you said you didn't grow up in church. I guess, tell me about your transition to becoming a Christian later on. Yeah, I, um, I had no idea what the awards were when I got asked to play them. But, you know, Nashville is a hub for country music, but also Christian music. So moving here, trying to work in music, I naturally started getting calls for those types of gigs. Um, and it was really cool just like meeting some of these Christian artists and realizing like, man, there's something to this faith. Like, I think it's really real and really genuine to them. I moved around a whole lot growing up. My family has lived in six states total. Mm-hmm. And primarily I was not really in the Bible Belt until high school. My family moved to Conway, Arkansas, Little Rock area. Mm-hmm. And that was the first place I'd ever really lived that was like, where there were Christians at my school, everyone went to church on Sundays. I was this strange kid that didn't. Mm. So that was kind of my first time ever really being around it. And I was definitely, I was curious about faith, but I think it was one of those things where, I don't know, you grow up your whole life, not really exploring that. You knew that your, your family didn't believe that way. I think I felt awkward exploring that while I was still at home living with my parents, but Going to college is this kind of this opportunity to to find yourself to be who you want to be, and a lot of kids rebel in their own way. And I think this mm-hmm. is my form of rebellion. It's like <laughs> my family doesn't go to church. I'm going to go to church, uh-huh. <laughs> and just started like exploring this myself and getting to know some really amazing people who loved Jesus a lot, and kind of started trying to figure it out. I had a friend buy me a Bible when I was 18. I'd never had one, and just started reading and. Yeah, just going down this journey for myself. Um, so you mentioned you saw there was something different in the people you're interacting with. What was that thing that drew you in? Um, I think a lot of it was, I don't know, as someone who didn't grow up in church, I, I think my life always felt chaotic. It always felt stressful. I never felt like this sense of peace. Mm -hmm. And I would meet these people who had this faith and they were so like calm, no matter what was going on around them. Like they Mm -hmm. just had this peace and this joy that seemed like it couldn't be shaken. Mm -hmm. Even just getting to know Christian families, my family, I love them dearly, but not being raised in church, like I think the dynamic of families, it just looks a little bit different. And just mm-hmm. seeing the way that these families like interacted with each other with such patience and kindness and grace in a way that I had never really seen before. You know, my siblings and I fought like mm-hmm. <laughs> so much growing up. And I would see the way that these families just love and respected each other. And I could just tell like there is something to this. Mm-hmm. I always thought, I guess, that I was like way too logical to ever really believe that way but I think it it honestly takes an encounter with Jesus because Mm -hmm. I don't think logic ever could have gotten me there on its own not to say that faith is like illogical Mm -hmm. but it really took that encounter for me personally to say okay no I I believe this there really is something to this right yeah so from performing at the Dove Awards Mm -hmm. and you keep meeting people what led you towards thinking, hey, maybe I should go and do this as an independent artist? What was that like? 
Yeah, it was definitely a long journey between, I mean, I divorced, I was like 18. So all through college, it was this simultaneous journey of me coming to faith and figuring out, okay, now this gift of music that I've been growing for my whole life, basically, Mm -hmm. seems to have this whole new purpose. So I I was excited about that. So the idea of touring with with faith-based bands and artists was appealing to me for that reason. And you know, I was excited. I, I was excited and content, honestly, to just do that. I think, you know, I, I always saw myself as the background person. I go on tour. I've done all these massive tours, played on these massive stages, but always as the background person. Mm-hmm. But I started really getting into songwriting towards the end of college. And for me, it was just like a way to process my mm-hmm. life and what was going on in the world around me. But it was never something I guess I intended to pursue necessarily as anything beyond a hobby living Mm -hmm. in Nashville it's everyone sings so -hmm. much better than I do everyone writes songs better than I do this is just Mm going to be my fun outlet my hobby um I didn't show my songs to anybody (laughs) honestly like they were just for me but I had a roommate at the time who Mm -hmm. obviously we lived together she heard them by default and she was always trying to encourage me you know like I think these are really good I think you should do something with these or am I a Windows computer likes to give me really <laughs> notifications at really inopportune times? I am so sorry. Yeah, I get that you too. I'm sorry. Edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not. We'll see. Or maybe not. There you go. You can hear. <laughs> um, but yes, my roommate was always encouraging me, you know, like, I think, I think your songs are actually really good. I think you should do something with them. But I never intended to pursue that myself. But I remember telling her, I guess this is like early 2014. I said, hey, Rachel, I just wanted to let you know, I am um, going to the beach for a couple weeks to visit some friends down in Florida. We live together. You should know these things if I'm going to be gone for two weeks. And mm-hmm. she, her response was, okay, um, actually, I am going to come with you. And we are going to book shows along the way and you're going to sing your songs for people. And I was like, yes, that's (laughs) not happening, Rachel. And somehow like this girl, if you met her, we've been friends since we were 16 years old. I love her to death. And she is like one of the most persistent, persuasive people Mm -hmm. I've ever met. And somehow she convinced me that this was a good idea. And she invited a couple other artists and turned it into this whole two week little tour thing down in Florida. And started playing these shows and you know, I remember after this first show we played a high school auditorium in Mount Dora Florida we did a little <laughs> writer's round and uh somehow sold it out because I don't know I guess that's a really fun thing to do on a Friday night in Mount Dora Florida uh-huh. um, and people were coming up to me afterwards saying hey you know I really loved this song where can I hear it and I was like well you, you can't I don't have any music recorded. So I had a lot of people, even after that show, like sending me emails saying, you know, Hey, I really, I want to sing this song at my church or I want to use it for this or that. So I thought, okay, fine. I'll record one song and just put it out there. See what happens. (laughs) I guess for my fans, (laughs) I'll do it. (laughs) And you know, one song leads to another and here we are. So that, yeah, I mean, that's a good friend. (laughs) <laughs> she is a good friend. Yeah. They're, I mean, it takes a special type of people to see, be able to see things in others. 
mm-hmm. that they don't see in themselves. And I think that's really valuable for people to have like those kinds of friends who you might tell them no, they'll just like, hey, you gotta do this, you gotta do this. Mm-hmm. So so you're visiting some friends. So what do they say when you showed up with like a crew of people? <laughs> well, we talked about it first. So oh, they are like <laughs> the sweetest people ever. Uh-huh. Their love language is like hospitality and hosting. And they were all about it. They were like, uh-huh. the more the merrier. Come on, let's do it. <laughs> so they were stoked. Nice. So, okay. So this album that you released has those songs that you wrote back then does it have most of them them, so i put out a couple of singles and and things like that beforehand um throughout Mm -hmm. the years but the album that i put out last year heaven come down was my first full-length go big or go home project Mm -hmm. so how's that been like i guess the whole process you know since you were really personal about those songs songwriting Mm -hmm. part you know the one thing that i've noticed is that music is a really personal thing, especially songwriting, you know, you like, you're putting your feelings, emotions, everything out yeah. there. And then to like have other people join in, make an album, release it. Like what's that whole process like in your head and your heart? What, what do you go through when, when that happens? I mean, especially, you know, <clears throat> there is a reason that record labels have like giant teams of people to do all this Mm -hmm. because as an independent artist, you're wearing like 15 hats and doing all these jobs. So it definitely feels very overwhelming the first time you go through that process. Um, and you learn so much as you go, you take it a step at a time. You make a lot of mistakes along the way. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's definitely, it's definitely a little scary. You know, you write these things in your bedroom, you know, you sing them for your roommate (laughs) and you hope that when you put them out there, someone else can relate, you know, can, can be encouraged by them. I don't know. You hope that more than like your mom and dad ever listen. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's definitely, it's scary. It's definitely a big, you know, risk in a lot of ways. Emotionally, you're putting your heart on the line and that's kind of, I don't know, taking pages from your diary and saying, here you go. world." (laughs) Um, So that part of it can be a little scary, but and it, it's a big, I don't know, as an independent artist, it, it's a big financial risk too, because mm-hmm. you pay for everything on the front end and you hope that people buy it and stream it and that you can uh, begin to see some of that back. So I felt so crazy when I was going through this process. So mm-hmm. I was, it was basically all of 2018 that I was making this album. And at the time, I was in between tours. Touring as a cellist has a lot of ups and downs because Mm -hmm. it's not like I'm a drummer where I play with one artist all the time. It's like people bring me out for maybe a few months, maybe a year, but it's for like a specific tour because they want to add strings and and add a cool element. And so Mm -hmm. um, I was had a random year at home in 2018. I was working as a receptionist at a hair salon Nice. Making like less than $10 an hour trying so, to pay my bills. As a receptionist, mm-hmm. if you put people on hold, would you be the one playing like the hold music? <laughs> that would have been cool. <laughs> that would have been very cool. Yeah. They're like, man, she can do it. Okay. Oh. So receptionist 2018. Yes. Yeah, so I, I mean, I was just trying to scrape by and then I am you know, spending time with the Lord and I feel like I, 
I am hearing him tell me, you need to make an album. And I'm like, I can afford to make an album? Do you know what that is? <laughs> do you know what you're saying to me? Do you, do you even understand what you're saying to me? But I am notorious for being like very stubborn when I get an idea in my head. And especially if it's an idea that I feel like is something that the Lord has told me. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, how am I going to do this? Um, so I'm like, well, I guess I can do like a Kickstarter. So I do a Kickstarter and I'm so awkward about asking people for money. I'm like, I don't want your money. It's fine. I am I think the worst salesperson. <laughs> yeah. It's so terrible. Like, I can money or not. It. It's fine. You're, you don't need yeah. to buy this. <laughs> it's fine. It's your money. Do what you want. And so like I did this Kickstarter and I raised a little bit of money but not very much of it. And mm-hmm. I had one of my biggest donors ended up like falling through. So like I hit a goal enough that I was able to keep the funds. Mm-hmm. But then after the fact, like my biggest donors card do- got declined and I'm like, okay, <laughs> cool. So I need 15 grand for this record. And I got mm-hmm. five. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I like making 10 bucks an hour. How am I going to do this? Mm-hmm. And I literally just hear the Lord keep telling me, you're going to do one step at a time. We're going to do this. We're going to make it happen. And I was hustling. I was babysitting. I was doing everything I could to make every penny that I could. Mm -hmm. And I finally knew that I had a tour coming up. Um, The end of 2018, I did Kayla Christmas tour with Daddy Weave. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, all right, I know I'm going to make money in December. So I just have to get through until December. And literally when this tour started, I had like less than $100 to my name. I felt like an absolute like, I was like, this is the definition of walking by faith because I'm such a logical person. Everything inside me was like, this is so stupid. I should Mm -hmm. stop this now. I'm crazy. I'm Mm -hmm. being irresponsible. But I kept feeling like the Lord was like, nope, I'm calling you to do this. Mm -hmm. Hey, what are you doing? (laughs) Sorry, that's my dog. That's Reina. Hey, Reina. She's been at the vet a lot today, so she's here to hang out. (laughs) But... Yeah. Like I just kept feeling from the Lord, like this is something I'm supposed to do. And so crazy enough though, everything came together and miraculously, like people have actually listened to this album. I've made back my giant investment, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but it is definitely a a scary process and in so many ways to jump down that road. I think I don't think I could have done it had I not heard clearly from the Lord. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause you were like, emptied emotionally physically your bank account was empty mm-hmm. like just like empty everywhere but yeah i mean that's cool what's been the the best feedback you've gotten from your album i think the most encouraging thing that i can hear is i'll get emails i'll get direct messages from from people and it, honestly even if i get a handful of these of people saying hey this song changed my life. I've gotten emails from people saying I was, I was ready to commit suicide. And then I heard this song that you wrote and the Lord spoke to me and I decided to not to do that. I decided to go get help. I decided those are the types of yeah. feedback where I'm like, okay, I heard from Jesus because he is using this and I have to be content with if that's all it ever is. If, if it's, If I write these songs to reach a handful of people and really, really impact their lives, like that's okay. That's enough. That is kingdom work. And I'm content with that. 
Mm-hmm. Wow. That's really powerful. Yeah. I mean, because I feel like a lot of people wouldn't have that mindset. They'd be like, Hey, I'm doing music. I want to be number one on the charts. And that's how I define success. Mm-hmm. So hearing it from you, how you see that a little different uh, than most people. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, living in a town full of performers, you have to get over the competitive mindset. And it's not easy to do. It's it's so easy to jump into that mindset and see, you know, oh, well, my friend's song is number one and mine is number 50. This is terrible. Mm-hmm. But just to realize that someone else's success is not my failure. Mm-hmm. If, your, if your song goes number one, like, I'm going to be so happy for you in that with the Lord, it's like, there's enough to go around. Um, mm-hmm. He will provide for us, whether we are number one, like that's amazing. But even if not, like he's going to use our gifts in the, the ways that he uniquely intended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's really great to hear. So going back to the album, I heard Queen of a Wasteland. That one yeah. It's been stuck in my head. So what are those songs about? What would that one be about? So Queen of Wasteland is a song that, you know, you're asking when I wrote some of these songs on this record, because this was kind of the first big project that I released. And that was one that I wrote, I think it was back in 2015. And I sat with it for so long because I wrote it and I thought, this song doesn't sound anything like Christian music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's um, for those who haven't listened, it, it's kind of this dark, sort of sad sounding pop song. Um, but it, I wrote it based on the book of Ecclesiastes, which kind of has this reputation of being like the depressing, everything sucks book of the Bible. But mm-hmm. I weirdly love it. I don't know. It's always kind of been an encouragement to me to not get caught up in in putting my identity in the things of this world, but to keep my focus on the Lord. Um, And that all of these things that we seek after on their own are meaningless. If you are trying to build your own kingdom, you essentially are going to be the queen of Wasteland, which is where the title came from. Um, But, you know, I would, I would write I would read these things in scripture, books like Ecclesiastes, books like Job, you know, even two thirds of the Psalms are considered to be Psalms of lament. It's not all this positive, encouraging, save for the whole family. Like that's what I knew Christian music to be. And yet I would open my Bible and I would see, I would see that, but I would see all these other themes as well. And I would resonate with some of these harder books to wrestle through. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I wasn't seeing anybody writing about that stuff really. Mm-hmm. And I, and I didn't know how it fit within Christian music and what I knew it to be. And so I just didn't really do anything with it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was getting this album together, um, you know, I was in the process of figuring out what songs I was going to put on it. And I thought I had chosen all of them. And then I really felt from the Lord, like I was supposed to put this song on there. And I was like, I don't know if anyone else is going to like get this at all. You know, it's one of those songs <laughs> where it's kind of metaphorical and artsy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't, people might just think this is like weird. I don't know, but mm-hmm. I really felt like I was supposed to do it. So I put it out there and 
oddly enough, like that's one that I've gotten a lot of really awesome feedback on. It's being played on like Christian radio stations in other parts of the world. Like, mm-hmm. and they like that it doesn't sound like everything mm-hmm. else. They like that it, it's kind of real and it hits on some of these harder issues. So again, one of those things where, you know, you, you listen and, and you try to walk in obedience and trust that the Lord mm-hmm. had his hand in that. And again, that's one of those things where I'm like, well, you must have, because I did not think anyone else was going to understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has a little, it's like slow, but then the, the melody in the lyrics makes it go smoothly, I think. And it's, it's been pretty catchy. It's been stuck in my head. And Thank you. I like that it has good lyrics that make you think. So when we were talking about this earlier on your website, there's a little tab that says cello. Mm -hmm. And so then it shows the songs that you've performed in with other Mm -hmm. different artists. And there was entertaining angels in there. Yeah. So Joel, and you mentioned that was a while ago, right? It was, that was probably close to 10 years ago that he and I recorded that. So I was still a student at Belmont and he and I had a mutual friend and he was like, okay, I want to record this acoustic version of this song, which again, not growing up in Christian music, Mm -hmm. I didn't know that song. Mm -hmm. I didn't know who Phil was, Uh but (laughs) my friend was like, oh, I have a friend that plays cello. Um, Uh So he connected us and we, yeah, we spent like a few hours in the studio just coming up with this whole arrangement and it was really pretty much just all cello. So it was a lot of fun to play. Yeah, I grew up listening to that song and it's just good lyrics. It's just that whole album. Um, But then I also remember thinking, I'm like, man, that guy has some really cool hair. He does have some really cool hair. It's like, man, (laughs) I can't do that. That's really cool. So with all the goals, the big things you've achieved, uh, the success you've had, what is your biggest challenge right now, you would say? Well right now obviously is kind of unique, <laughs> unique circumstance. Just obviously COVID is affecting all of our lives in mm-hmm. some capacity, but um, the music industry is definitely one that's taken a really big hit just because, you know, the, the live entertainment industry is more or less shut down. There's a handful of drive-in theater tours happening, but those, those venues are pretty sparse and limited on, you know, being able to get on those tours. And right now, all of my live events have been canceled for the remainder of this year. I think the next thing that's on my books is over a year from now. So it's, it is crazy times. So I think the biggest challenge right now is just figuring out okay, God, now what, you know? Um, And it kind of brings us back to what we talked about earlier, as far as if I can't see myself doing anything else, like I'm going to, I'm going to find a way to keep doing music because it's what I love. It's what I'm passionate about. But what does that look like in in such an uncertain season? Mm. Um, So it's looked really different lately. I (laughs) have been working part-time again. I've been taking care of a little baby boy through the summer just Mm. nannying and trying to figure out what's next. But I actually have been really fortunate. I've started getting a lot more recording work recently. So I have a little recording set up at my house. So people will send me songs. I'll play cello on them and send them back. You know, I still am able to lead worship um, at church. It's definitely different and masks Mm -hmm. and 
lots of it is recording little videos and stuff and doing live streams. But you know, I'm grateful the Lord has been taking care of me through this season. But I think it's definitely another one of those hard seasons of, of okay, walking in faith because all of the consistency, all of the okay, I know I'm getting paid on Friday is gone. <laughs> but <laughs> mm-hmm. ironically, like the Lord has been so faithful to continue to provide, but it's definitely a, a walk of faith without knowing what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. I mean, I, I nanny this little boy for two more weeks and then it's like, okay, I, I don't know what's after that, but I trust that the Lord's going to take care of me. Mm-hmm. And then, so you mentioned you're doing a lot of recording. Are you working on something new also, or just working with other artists? Um, a little bit, you know, as far as my own music, I've just been taking this time to write a lot because mm-hmm. I don't know, I feel like as an artist, I go through different seasons and in some seasons, I feel like I'm, I'm hardly writing because I'm so focused on recording or I'm so focused on touring. So this is primarily been like for me as an artist, a writing season, which is really fun and refreshing for me. I think, I don't know. I think writing is probably my favorite part of the whole process. That's mm-hmm. how I got started doing this to begin with, was writing songs in my bedroom. And it's nice to to get back to those roots and just mm-hmm. see what comes out through this season. I've learned that a lot of my best writing comes out of the hard season. So I'm excited to see what types of songs come out. But I don't have any immediate plans to be recording new music, but I am trying to figure out what that next product is going to look mm-hmm. like. Yeah, no, that's great. So for a new artist that is thinking about getting started, what are some mistakes that you see new artists make or that you've made yourself that you would coach them on right now if they're listening? Yeah, I think specifically if you're trying to pursue the artist route, you say, I have these songs. How do I get them from, I wrote them in my bedroom to, they're out there for the world to hear. And I think you know, you learn so much by making mistakes um, along the way. But I think the best advice I would give would be to always save money for marketing (laughs) and your budget. (laughs) The biggest mistake I think that I see artists make is they will create this incredible music. They'll spend every penny they have on the actual recording and then they have nothing left to actually get it out there for people to hear. Mm -hmm. And that's so hard for me to see because I love like seeing the talent and the potential in people and helping pull that out of them. And then I'll, you know, find these incredible artists that like nobody's heard. Mm -hmm. I mean, Nashville's full of them, honestly, just insane talent, but you know, it really, it takes a little bit of resources at least just to, to properly get your music out there, you know, as an independent for me, that's looked a lot like pitching music to Spotify playlists and Apple music and focusing on on that aspect. But even that takes a little bit of of a budget. And I would encourage artists, you know, if you're working with a really small type budget, maybe consider doing one or two songs at first, doing them the absolute best you can, and then making sure that you have the resources to Make sure that people hear them Mm -hmm. as opposed to making this massive record that sounds incredible that no one ever ends up hearing. I think that's Mm -hmm. the saddest thing I see in this town. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, that's a big, that's a really cool, good advice. All right. So we're going to, we're at this part of a show. We're still trying to come up with a name for this. Um, It's called right now, the mixer quick round question time. 
Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so we're just gonna give answers or can give you questions. You give me an answer and it'll just be pretty quick. Okay. All right. So what was your first car? Oh, um, a 1996 Infinity J30T. I named her Gertrude, and she is still running. Gertrude. She was. She was my sister's first car. My first car. My younger sister's first car. She is technically totaled out from hail damage. <laughs> the speedometer is broken, but that thing is still running. It is my family's backup car to this day. Nice. So, <laughs> Gertrude, did you name her Gertrude or your I sister? Did name her Gertrude. Okay, got it. My sister wasn't into naming cars, and I was like, well, if she doesn't have a name, I'm going to give her one. Exactly. Um, instrument you wish you could play? Ooh, probably the violin. I get asked to play violin a lot just because I play cello, and I think mm-hmm. it'd be really cool to learn, but I haven't taken the time to learn yet. That's all right. Sorry. Right. Superpower you wish you had? To fly. To fly? Yes. So you can just travel all the time? I mean, I know, like, I probably should say, like, to cure cancer or something. That would be cool, too. <laughs> That's what I was going to... I thought you were going to say that. I mean, I'm going to change the answer. I want to cure cancer. <laughs> but also, I want to fly. It should be so fun. You can fly to drop off medicine. There we go. That you create yourself, yeah. Perfect. If you could have a song... Okay, so if you could have a song play every time you enter a room... What would that song be? Like your theme song? Oh my gosh. That's a hard question. Oh my gosh. This is hard. Okay. I'm You've never thought about this? That, no, I have not thought about this. <laughs> Maybe it's like sports players think about that, right? Like baseball players, they have like their song when they walk onto the field. Okay. I'm just going to go with a song that's been like one of my favorites mm-hmm. since I was tiny. I love the Beatles. Here comes the sun. The Beatles has always been one of my all-time favorites. And, you know, I like to think I'm like a ray of sunshine when I walk into a room. <laughs> Maybe yeah. not on my bad days. But I mean, I- you're pretty happy. I, I can agree with that. So what is the secret talent that not many people know about? Oh, my gosh. Okay, I do have one, but it's like, it's pretty weird. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I should show you. <laughs> I can't. It's fine. Okay, so I was a weird kid, right? And kids are... I don't know. I would always like make silly sounds with my sisters. And I figured mm-hmm. out when I was a kid that I can make this like weird bubble sound. So, like, <laughs> I need to make it for you now, don't I? Yeah, I think the, okay. that's what everyone wants to hear. <laughs> okay. Okay, everyone be quiet. <laughs> that is my that weird hand talent motion that most people don't know about. Made it. Oh, man. We're going to be releasing the video soon. Uh, oh, perfect. You got to see that. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned, I think you touched on this earlier. What is the best piece of advice you ever received? Best piece of advice I ever received. Um, I did touch on this a little bit earlier. Um, you know, just the idea of if you can see yourself doing something else, you should probably go ahead and do that because I can't career in music. It is challenging it is not some super stable career path it has so many really drastic ups and downs that I think unless you are so passionate about it that you're like this is this is all I know that I want to do and I'm gonna do it Mm -hmm. um you know I I would encourage people to, to look other directions because it is challenging but 
I think for me, when I heard that, I really, it was racking my brain. I was like, what else could I do? You know, is there anything else that I would honestly be excited about doing, passionate about doing? And mm-hmm. I drew a complete blank. And that's, that was the turning point for me to say, okay, you know what? I am going to do this and I am going to be all in because this is all I want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good advice. What is the worst piece of advice you ever received? <laughs> the worst piece of advice I ever received. Um, trying to think of like how to work. So I went through a phase where I guess this was back in like 2015. I had put out, you know, a few songs and was starting to get a little bit of traction. And what I, I ended up with like a management deal for a year. And I think this manager, he's a nice guy. He's a good guy. But I think he just thought, oh, this is a good girl that's going to be, you know, it's going to be really easy to get her signed with the label really quickly. We'll all start making money right away. And it just didn't work out that way. It's a long, it's a long, tough process. And I think they just didn't really know what to do with me because again, I didn't quite fit this mold that was Christian music. I was Sonically, it was a little bit different. Lyrically, I was singing about other types of things and the labels just didn't quite know what to do with me. And so I remember sitting down with my manager and he was like, well, you know, I I just, I don't think what we're doing is working. And he said, have you ever considered doing children's music? You could be like Rafi. You love kids. I was like, this is you don't get me off. Yeah, you're like, I'm terrible with kids. Tears were shed in that conversation just because like I had this vision of what I was trying to do. And I was like, uh-huh. oh no, oh no, you don't get this at all. Children's music. Listen, there's nothing wrong with children's music, but that was like the opposite of what I was trying to yeah. do. I mean, you're really like, you have that bubbly personality. You'd be great at it. But I see what you're saying. It was it was not for me. Yeah. <laughs> and it's always really funny whenever you try to do something and then someone says they understand you and then they're like complete opposite. And then you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. No, we're gonna... Not even a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and lastly, okay, so who is someone or a few people that you look up to in the industry that would be a great person to interview to have on the podcast well someone I look up to in the industry I have a few people in mind my sweet friend Jason Gray you should reach out to Jason Jason I could connect you with Jason um so I met Jason on a tour I was playing with Francesca back in 20 14. Mm-hmm. And Jason was like such a ray of sunshine on that mm-hmm. tour. And he was so kind and so humble. And just like, I was this fresh out of school, just started touring, excited about life kid with a million questions. <laughs> he was so sweet to take the time to sit down with me and, mm-hmm. and encourage me. And I ended up finding out afterwards that he was walking through like probably the roughest season of his entire life mm-hmm. during that. And yet he still Mm. took the time to pour into me and that like spoke volumes to me about him, about his character. Mm. And we're still great friends to this day. We've done a couple of tours together and Mm. his Christmas tour that I did with him was like still the most fun tour I've ever been part Mm -hmm. of. So if you get a chance to interview Jason, I would definitely encourage you. All right, Jason, you heard it here first. Heard it here, Jason. (laughs) Um, Another one of someone that's been an encouragement to me, which 
you could get her on your podcast would be amazing, mm-hmm. um, would be Lauren Daigle. She and I are like the same age. We've done, I guess we just did the one tour together. Actually, Jason's Christmas tour back in, I think it was Christmas of 2014. Lauren was like the tiny baby opening artist on the tour. Mm-hmm. She had only done like a few tours before that. And we were like the only two girls on the tour. So we became really good friends. And she's just, she's an encouragement to me because our stories are honestly kind of weirdly similar in a lot of ways at that point. She was kind of starting in the industry, but she was still hustling. She was nannying part-time. She was leading worship at her church. And like, I remember on that tour in particular, she was feeling kind of discouraged and she was like, I don't know. I don't know if this is for me. I might just go back to nannying full-time and leading worship at my church and that I might be fine with that. Um, and I was like, you're like super talented. I think you should keep, keep doing this, but just hearing her story and, and getting to know her heart as a human, like she's such a sweet, kind person that like to see the level of success that she has reached. Um, like I am cheering her on so hard because mm-hmm. she deserves it more than anyone. Cause she's mm-hmm. such a genuine kind person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Lauren, you also heard it here first. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, Becca, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So hopefully we'll have you back soon, and then we'll do, like, where is she now? We'll follow you on your journey. So Yes, I love that. Yeah, thank you so much, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Talk to you soon. Wow, wasn't that a great interview? Hopefully it took away some great info from listening to Becca's story. Make sure to go support her and listen to her album on Spotify. See y'all soon. Hold up. If you gained some great value, make sure to rate, review, and share with someone you care about. As a thank you, I'll be doing a giveaway for $100 and or a free 45-minute music career coaching call with me. So if that sounds like something you like, take a screenshot of your review and tag us on your social media post to be entered into the drawing. We'll be doing this every month, so see you soon. Now back to the jam.